Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. I'm glad to be back with our listeners on our weekly talk show, Taking Care of Business. Uh, My guest today, uh, this wonderful and hot uh, summer day in Calgary, is Ken Larson, head coach and president of Champion Performance Systems. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, David. Uh, Thank you for being our guest. You're very welcome. And uh, having Ken, our show today is going to be a little bit different than usual. Uh, Ken was, and this is full disclosure, Ken was my tech-slash-vistage chair for many years, as well as my business and life coach. Um, and he's still in the business, which is surprising. Uh, working with my company, didn't work, Bar- did it? Yeah. <laughs> working with my company, Barclay Street Real Estate, and personally with me, as I mentioned earlier. Um, how is this uh, broadcast going to be different? In past 24 weeks, I've interviewed entrepreneurs from different industries, different stages in their careers, different geographical locations such as Tallinn, Estonia, Chicago, Phoenix, uh, Florida, Calgary, Edmonton, and, and, and others. We heard what is important to become a successful entrepreneur and what mistakes to avoid. So today, we're going to talk with Ken, how good or not so good, I didn't want to use the word bad, uh, are we the entrepreneurs in walking our own talk? Uh, Ken is going to help us put a mirror in front of us, the entrepreneurs. Um, and I also asked Cassandra, uh, our dedicated production assistant, to join me today as a co-host. We're going to try her today. Uh, so she can ask the questions that I probably want to avoid. And I... Gave Cassandra the carte blanche, the open book to do whatever, to ask whatever she wants. Uh, And together with Ken, uh, make me look at my mirror and see if I walk my own talk. Uh, Ken is smiling. That's not a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ken is an international speaker, a corporate trainer, a team facilitator, human performance consultant, and an executive coach. Ken holds a bachelor degree in human performance from University of Victoria, mm-hmm. a master's degree in performance psychology from University of Alberta. Mm-hmm. He's a certified executive coach by Royal Roads University and a certified coach with Gazelles International. We'll talk about Gazelles later. Um, well, he's the first guest that is taller than me. Since it's radio, you don't see that, but uh, at six point six foot nine. Uh, he was a member of the Canadian national basketball team. He also uh, played for the University of Victoria Vikings, winning two national championships. Uh, Ken later became a college basketball coach and athletic director, as well as a course conductor through the National Coaching Certification Program, where he certified over 2,000 coaches in Alberta and British Columbia. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> He's the past president of Basketball Alberta and founder of the Calgary High School Basketball Classic involving 64 teams and raising over 300000 uh, for scholarship funds for amazing students and athletes. Ken is a proud father of his daughter, Nicole. Um, so I have to ask you uh, one question or, or kind of mention one thing. Last week we had here, our guest was Pat Oderman. He is the publisher of... Uh, 
business in Calgary, business in Edmonton, and he has over 30 years experience in media. So we tried to make him sweat during the interview and ask him <laughs> tough questions. Um, today with, with you here and Cassandra asking questions as much, as, as many as, a, as and those that she wants and trying to put a mirror in front of me, I hope that I'm not going to sweat too hard. <laughs> so, you know, the first question I have to ask you, Ken, because um, we know each other as, as a coach and, 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 and I was a client, but was any, anyone in the family an entrepreneur, your parents, siblings? No, none of them. My dad was a <clears throat> pipe fitter, worked in a pulp mill for 40 years. My mom was at, uh, at a hospital and was in medical records for her career. And siblings? Uh, my sister also works in the healthcare system on Vancouver Island. I see. So um, where is this passion for human uh, <laughs> behavior coming from? Yeah, I guess I was a bit of a, the anomaly in my family. And after, when I went to play basketball, uh, that changed things a little bit. And then I became a coach, which was just a natural progression from being a player. And then when I was at McEwen in Edmonton, they asked me to be the athletic director. And that's kind of where things kind of kicked into gear. I started looking at things from a higher level and questioning this and that and that and this and seeing how we can make things better and raise our games and then going back to school helped it even more. I see. Um, so let's go a little bit back and, and start um, your kind of you grew in uh, Victoria or in the, uh, on the island? Small little town named Duncan, smack in the middle between Van- Victoria and Nanaimo on Vancouver Island, very small town. And uh, I was <laughs> I was uh, six foot uh, and 170 pounds and seven months later I was six seven and 170 pounds. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so my nickname was the human hockey stick with hair. <laughs> oh, you had hair? I had hair. Oh, yes. wow. <laughs> and uh, you probably also, were, you were the tallest guy in Duncan. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I could, see. couldn't dunk. That was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, so uh, any kind of uh, extra things you did that were at, your, at high school or just basketball, basketball, basketball? It was all basketball and no school. I barely got out of high school. I barely got into university at Simon Fraser. And uh, that was the start of my, of my academic career. And I realized quickly that uh, I actually had to go to school in order to play basketball. And how did that go? Not well. <laughs> to start, I jumped around from faculty to faculty. And then when I transferred to University of Victoria, I found the faculty that I liked. And then that's when my interest in school started to ramp up and things got better. So um, just uh, want to ask you one thing about uh, your team uh, at the time, the, the Vikings. Um, I want to talk about professional basketball, uh, the national team. Ego there is like part mm-hmm. of, uh, of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but... When you were in a university kind of environment, university team, um, what will the, your teammates from that time say about you if we ask them, how was Ken as a person, as a teammate, as a friend? Ah, interesting question. See, I transferred. I went to Simon Fraser first for three years. I played in the junior varsity team where, for the Canadian listeners, will understand our team manager was Terry Fox that year. So I got to know and hang out with Terry Fox for a year. I spent two more years on the varsity team, and then things weren't going well in school. So I transferred over UVic. So I was a competitor against all the guys in Victoria. So we didn't like each other a whole lot. But I was from Vancouver Island like they were. So it was kind of coming home for me. Mm-hmm. 
And it took a while to fit in. It probably took a good six to eight weeks in that first year at UVic before I started to become accepted. But those first six weeks were really, really tough because they were looking down their noses at me like, you think you can make it here? You've got to prove it yourself. So it took me a couple months to, to earn the trust and respect of those guys on that team. And then you played with them for how many years after that? Uh, I was there for the, uh, two championships. But in between those two, I took a year off because of knee injury and had to rehabilitate. So I was there for the... Uh, third and fifth out of the seven national titles in a row that the team won. I see. So going back to my question is, you told me how you struggled to get in, but if I, you won two championships, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, it's a team environment. And then, you, as you know, I was involved in basketball as well. So mm-hmm. the dressing room, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of the, the, the melting pot that uh, of success or failure. So what would they say about you, the guys that played with you, I think they would say that I was a definitely a team player. There was a certain attitude in that locker room. After you win one national championship, <laughs> then you win a second. You know, the ego, and I would say, and not to sound, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but ego grew, but it grew in a good way because we just raised our expectations year over year. And I think my teammates would say I was definitely a team player. I was part of the uh, attitude and the atmosphere Uh, I was on the national team, but I played, I was second string at UVic. I think I was the only player ever where I played for our country, but at my own university, I didn't even start. <laughs> so you had to have a level of humility yeah. at that level, knowing that it was a real team game. And the big lesson for me there was, you know, excellent basketball is winning a championship, but basketball excellence is winning the thing every year. So our expectations were very, very high. In, in hindsight, uh, looking back at those years that you had to kind of prove yourself and struggle and played in two different teams, one you, it made you more humble than the other probably, um, did, did, do you see today at your job today, at your work today uh, as a coach, do you see anything that you gained there that you bring with you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, high expectations for performance. Uh, a willingness to look in your own mirror and figure out what is it you need to work on in order to get better. Uh, constant improvement, constant state of that, and always trying to raise our games individually and collectively and business-wise, which is my focus now. I try to help the leader, the business team, and the business itself try to raise their collective games. So all kinds of learnings I, I draw from those experiences. So that's why we can't work anymore. <laughs> Um, um, and, and you mentioned that uh, during your coaching career, you kind of uh, started looking more at uh, the human kind of behavior as, as a profession. Um, was there kind of any event or any person that influenced you in that direction during those years? Or it was a natural from the in within progress, progress that you made? I think it's a combination of the two. When I first became a tech chair, I was the fish out of water. And I'm diverge, I, divulging that to you now, I had no clue about what it took to run a big level business because I was the only tech chair that wasn't a former business owner. I was trained in the area of coaching and training and consulting, but I did not have the experience. So sitting down with guys like yourself and sitting down with some of those other guys in our tech group, I was learning in the process. So I was, it, was, it was difficult to catch up. And, and when was that kind of uh, moment of this is what I want to do in life? The moment, there was a series of moments. Whenever I would sit down with a one-to-one with a client, 
and the client would say, thank you, that was really good, I really needed that. Or when I would ask a question and I would get a deer in the headlight look, or in some cases, I would get the owner to sit back and put his hands in the air and look up at the sky and uh, realize that they had just come to a moment that they needed to realize. That was juice to me. That was like, lay me down and mainline me, shoot me up with drugs, because I would leave that room knowing that I made a contribution by asking a series of questions that caused the leader to get an aha moment of some kind. And the reason you did all those movements right now is you're imitating me? <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> we used to have two-hour one-to-ones. Do you remember this, David? Yes. And we got about an hour in, and you would sit back and roll your eyes and take a big breath and go, I think I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I have a question for you. You just mentioned that uh, you didn't have business experience. And you came from coaching to coaching, from coaching athletes to coaching uh, business people, coaching life coaching. How do, how, how do you kind of, you know, go after new clients? What, what is the story you tell to get new clients? How do you get new clients when you come and say, I don't have business experience? Well, if I can, there was a question inside that as you began that I'd like to cover that first. Go ahead. As a basketball coach, if I wanted your opinion, I would give it to you. <laughs> I would just tell you what to do. Right. As a life coach, as an entrepreneurial coach, as a business coach, I don't tell anybody what to do. I can't. I don't have that experience. Right. So I would read and read and read. I'd average a couple books a month at least to try to catch up with at least academia. But I would sit down and realize when I went back to coaching school at Royal Roads University of Victoria, I had the huge epiphany was I don't have to have the answers. I just have to know how to ask really good questions. and uncover the wisdom that's already in the client. Because I have a firm belief that the client already knows the answers. I just need to ask the right questions designed to bring that out. Then we'll talk about action. Then we'll talk about timing. Then we'll talk about accountability. So today I'll give you an assignment, get a new client. What is your approach? Uh, Well, first of all, the clients come to me, which is a really good thing. So I've got lots of referral business. In fact, 100% of my business is referral. But if I sit down with a client one-on-one, I will ask a bunch of questions in an email in advance. I want to know about the person. I want to know about their history. I want to know how they got there. I want to know about the business unit and what their goals and aspirations are. Then I'll sit down and I'll just start asking questions and design to try to get the leader to realize that they can't do this by themselves. Business is a team sport, as you well know, David. You've got a team background and no leader can do this by themselves. So I'll ask a series of questions designed to get the leader to realize that A, they can be better than they are right now, B, they're not broken, (laughs) and C, we can get this unit, this team up to another level if we're prepared to commit. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, we'll talk about the whole team concept and doing it alone or doing it as a a group uh, later. you know, um, we have to, as you know, we have to go to a commercial break. And we're going to take our first commercial break. Um, we, When we come back, uh, we'll move more into uh, the interaction between you and your clients and between a coach uh, or a business coach and life coach and, and clients, whether it's an entrepreneur or whether it's a, it's a, a management team. Sounds good. Uh, So as I mentioned, we have to take our first commercial break. Uh, Make sure to open a new tab and check Ken's website. It's www.championpsi.com. Check the cheers that uh, Ken has received from uh, many of the companies he's working uh, with. 
uh, go over and review uh, those cheers and uh, we'll be back here with Ken Larson immediately following the first commercial break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with our guest, Ken Larson, uh, business and life coach, owner of Champion Performance Systems. And uh, the first question goes to Cassandra, my co-host today. Cassandra, the mic is yours. Uh Uh-oh, this could go one of two ways. (laughs) So the first question I wanted to touch base on today was, Ken, what uh, has your experience been like coaching David? Oh, here we go. You you can choose uh, to to plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that? That's not fun. Well, you kind of heard a little bit earlier where uh, David would walk into the room with a passion, not only for <clears throat> his people, but also for his business. And that's a prerequisite for me. If I'm going to sit in, in the room with a client, if they're not passionate about what they want to do, then... It's going to be awful hard to draw out the learnings and create some focus. But David already had that built in. He's a passionate man, which which really set us up for success. And then working with David, he's got a sense of humor. 
He loves to be sarcastic. So at, when I first met him, I wasn't too sure if he was serious or not with some of his comments, right? So I had to develop a bit of a skin. But then once I got to know him, I could shoot it right back to him too. But David was, was sincere and would really want to get better at what he was doing. Not only himself personally, and David knows this now that my approach is, you know, if the, if the business owner is not taking care, ter, taking care of him or herself, it's awfully hard for them to be a good leader. So part of our focus was around how does David need to be healthy and take care of his family? And he's very much a family man, so that was good. So it was always a quick banter back and forth. But whenever I landed on a question that really caused David to think about things, he would sit back, put his hands <laughs> behind his head, start pondering, looking up in the sky, thinking bigger. But he was always committed to following through what he said he was going to do. And, and with that, we conclude our show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ken, let's... Uh, I, one of the common threads we had during the 24 weeks that we interviewed entrepreneurs, everybody talks about mission, vision, purpose, core values. How many companies still in today's world you find that don't have it or don't follow it or, you know, have it on the wall, but they don't bring it to the office? Oh, wow. There are so many organizations that have it on a wall somewhere. I remember going into an office about 10 years ago. I walked up to the receptionist and said, I'm Ken Larson, I'm here to see so-and-so. She said, okay, great, I'll tell him you're here. Can I get you coffee, water, tea? No, I'm good. Then I turned around and said, can I ask you a question? Sure. What's the company's vision, mission, and core values? And she looked at me like just blank <laughs> stare, and she goes, well, let me call the other vice president. He was the guy that just led a whole process of that. I said, okay, great. So the guy comes out, and I asked him the same question. He goes, uh, and he stumbled through a couple of words, and he said, we just went through three months of all this and all that. I said, let me go get it. He says, let me go get it. I have it in a file somewhere. <laughs> so I call it shelf help. Meanwhile, my guy comes out to meet. We're walking back to his office, and I start laughing. He goes, what are you laughing at? On the wall, behind the receptionist. Carved in bronze, the damn thing had to weigh 300 pounds, was their vision, mission, and purpose. She didn't even know it was there, never mind what was on it. So to answer your question, way too many companies have this as just an exercise that we're supposed to do. But very rarely could any organization, if you were the leader right now, I would say, what would I see you do, David, day in and day out, that would give me a hint towards what your core values are? Are you walking your talk? Give me examples, team, of your values in action. If I follow the six eight ball guy followed you around, what would I see you do that would be in alignment with your core values, your vision, and your mission and purpose? And that's a big question to ask, but we're always looking for that. But very few companies do that. How important is it in your eyes as a coach that work with different organizations, different sizes of organization, and even at tech, you worked with companies that were a million bucks to over a billion bucks. How important is it? In, in, in your experience to have the mission, vision, uh, purpose, but all core values, but also for everybody to have the buy-in and know what they are and, and walk their talk. I think there's a couple points there. One is if in our society today, I think it's way too easy to say yes to almost everything that comes along. And I'm a believer that we need to know what is on our no list. So by having our purpose clear that we can rally around as our why, which is usually one or two words, and to have our where our vision of where we're going is clear, our mission, how we're going to get there clear, and what ground we stand on. It's almost like a moral compass. What's the ground we stand on that, that helps us say no to what doesn't matter to us or no to what's in conflict with us? What's our yes? What's our burning yes? And I've seen not only that, but also 
teams and organizations can come together, but it also now becomes an, uh, an element of fit. When we're hiring people, we want to make sure we hire people that are in alignment with what all that language says. Because if they're not, then they're not a fit for us. So the whole vision, mission, purpose, and core values can go in a variety of different directions. So, so in your uh, kind of experience, uh, when we do an interview to hire a new employee, we have to share with them what our mission, vision, purpose, core values are and see if they're, they will buy into it or they will just you know, brush it off? If we go that route, it's too easy for them to say, oh, yeah, I would design questions. And that's what I help people design questions to find out what their values are and then think about it in the background, whether or not you think that's in alignment or not. Mm. Interesting. Um, so in, in your kind of uh, the clientele that you work with today, you focused on getting those uh, mission, vision and statements. Uh, it's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of it. And usually at the beginning, most companies have something. But then when we look at it and I say, well, okay, if I look at how you guys behave, where's the gaps between what you say is important and what you actually show in your behavior? And if there's gaps there, we have to talk about that. I see. And um, from your experience, how easy or tough is it to take those <laughs> from the wall to the floor? Actually, it's not as hard as you might think. It sounds like it's big picture stuff for a lot of people. But when we get down to what the actual behaviors are, that's usually when leadership teams go, okay, now I get it. So let's look at what the consistent values are. Look at the gaps. What do we need to change in either our values or our behavior? And way too many companies will just put up a bunch of stuff up there that sounds good. But really, when you look at the behavior, it's not in alignment at all. So do we change our values to fit our behavior or do we change our behavior to fit our values? Mm. And that's a tough question to ask and answer. And do you have the answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you email me the answer? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I want to discuss with you now um, a very uh, you know, important tool that uh, a lot of people also use uh, day and night, and that's the business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen a lot of business plans that are 10, 15, 20 pages. And uh, first of all, I want to ask you, uh, do you see today still companies without a clear business plan? Yes, I do. It's kind of scary. <laughs> How do you deal with that? Well, it, let's face it, back in Calgary, in the heyday, when things are going really well, I would ask leaders, what's your business plan? And they would just look at me and go, make money. <laughs> and that was the plan. It got, it, But it was so easy back in the heyday, right? And now companies can't, leaders can't do that anymore. They have to have a focus. I see. And um, from your experience, again, working with different organizations, different industries, you work in different industries from oil to real estate to, to I, I don't even know some of the industries you work with. But the business plan you see today, what is the, and, and again, it's in, in your kind of experience and, and, and opinion, is it the banker's one that 15, 20 pages, or is it a one, two, three page short uh, business plan that uh, you, you like and, and yeah. you preach for and you teach for? I used to help organizations create and implement their business plans. And I had one company that made a 130 page plan and it went in a really nice binder and it went on the shelf and it was, there was no execution whatsoever, never mind accountability. So when I came across the gazelles format through scaling up, uh, but the book I'm sure the bankers like the, the yeah right they did yeah because all kinds of financials in there. But we're really now what I try to do is get organizations to build the one page strategic plan. Get it all on one page, and you can get all the components on there and all the executables with a couple of tabs. Of course, it's never actually just one page. There's a front page, and then there's divisional plans, there's individual plans, critical numbers, accountabilities, rhythms, 
all that stuff we can build into one model. Uh, you, you mentioned that you kind of became a, a gazelle coach. Can you explain a little bit about the gazelle uh, process? Sure. Or, well, I sat or, down what a, the gazelle is. Yeah, I sat down in, one, in front of one of our colleagues, John McInnes, and he pulled out his one-page strategic plan. I said, that's kind of cool. He says, well, you'd be pretty good at this. He picked up the phone and called the author, Vern Harnish, in Barcelona. Next thing you know, I was going off to get certified, and that was seven years ago now. So I was the only guy in Alberta at the time, and it's based on mastering the Rockefeller habits, which Vern wrote, and then he wrote another version of that called Scaling Up. So I went down to the U.S., got certified. There was about 33 of us in the world. At the time, there's now 235 coaches around in 22 countries, and it's we're taking the world over. And, uh, so, so elaborate a little bit about this business plan. What's unique about it? Well, it's not just the brevity, but the focus. So, you know, we'll have vision on their mission, purpose, core values, core competencies, the whole SWOT exercise, all your key performance indicators, the ones that are most important. And then we try to help the organization to determine what are the top five areas of focus between now and three years from now. So timelines are in there. And based on those top five focuses, what is the first year? And then what's the first quarter? And eventually creating big rocks, which is a quarter, and then 13-week races to the point of where the individuals that are contributing to the plan are reporting every week if they're green, yellow, or red on their week's tasks. And the goal is to get the leadership team, if it's five people or 25 people, up to the high 90s. Every week we are green with what we said we would do with this 13-week race, which feeds into the year, which feeds into the three years. So we're always looking for alignment from the big picture right down to the individual weekly tasks. And how is the buy-in from organizations to spend every week, whatever time, an hour or two, whatever you need? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's also a few days that lead to it. It's not just a one oh, sure. hour. Yeah. How, how is the buy-in from organization? The buy-in from the leader is always really good at the beginning. Creating buy-in with the rest of the leadership team takes a while. And I use the metaphor of getting over the hump. It's a lot of hard work at first. And some clients, in fact, recently I have an oil and gas company with 25 people in the room. And it took them three we- three months for them to finally see over the hump to get the idea, okay, now I get how this is going to work. So the leaders really got to pump it and follow through on everybody to make sure that it works. But it can take a couple quarters before we really get traction and momentum. I see. Um, so you're the big you're, you're a big fan of the one page clear precise that everybody can see how do the bankers accept that <laughs> <laughs> well the numbers that go along with that are absolutely critical so we talk about that very early in the process and that's usually with the leader and or the leadership team um, one of the um, things you mentioned uh, in your answer was key performance indicators mm-hmm. can you kind of Chat a little bit, explain how important they are, what usually you see them as, as uh, in an organization. This is where the bankers go cross-eyed. <laughs> there is such a thing as a leading indicator and a lagging indicator. Bankers tend to look at, and no offense bankers out there, but most financial experts will look at nothing but 100% lagging indicators. Stuff that's happened that we now look at and then try to forecast, which is the fancy way I say of guessing what we're going to do in the future. Whereas a leading indicator is something that I have an element of influence over. It's an activity and it's measurable. So in sales, you and I both know in sales, if I only make 10 calls a week, I'm going to only, that's my leading indicator. I'm only going to get maybe one deal or none. But if I increase my 10 a week to 20 or to 30 or to 40 or 50, that's my leading indicator. The result takes care of itself. Right. So I have a tough time 
getting through to leadership teams, not to mention the bankers, that we need a healthy mix between leading and lagging. The rule of thumb is for every two laggings, we have to have one leading. And when we get a healthy balance there and set some goals, now the focus is on activity as opposed to praying and hoping <laughs> that I get the results I'm looking for. So what you say, it's important to have the uh, key uh, performance indicators, but it's more important to follow them and, and make sure that uh, you kind of uh, monitor them. Absolutely. And depending on the indicators, some have to be looked at once a month. Some have to be looked at once a week. Some activities could be looked at daily. So it all depends on this, on whatever that indicator is. It sounds like a lot of work that you uh, give your clients, right? Uh, we, we, I, I thought we have enough work without you. Uh, <laughs> now we deal with all your, you know, we have to do once a week and, and follow and, and, you know, look at the key for, uh, performance indicators every time and probably the bankers want key financial indicators. Cassandra, you have another question. I do. So my second question is, um, actually, this is more for me than anything else because <laughs> David is my boss, but <laughs> how far has David come since you began your coaching relationship with him? Good question. Uh, we worked together for how long in tech? Uh, we Together, we worked to over 10 years together. In 10 years. Uh, not just to tech, just tech to start and then privately, I yeah. mean, through the company. Absolutely. Uh, the good thing is David's passion has not waned in any way. It's always there because he's a passionate guy just by the nature of who he is. But I'd say that David's stress levels on what he needed to do and how he needed to make people better and so-and-so was upsetting him. And there was a lot of, and I t- say this with love and respect, there was a lot of drama <laughs> early in the process. But Me? The passion, drama? Yeah, no. You're talking to a rogue guy. <laughs> But David, if I can say this, has settled in and really got into a really good rhythm of not only taking care of himself and his family, which is absolutely paramount to him, but also taking care of his business and his people in a way that doesn't have the huge peaks and the huge valleys of emotions that you used to have. I think you'd settled in on that very well. And to go with your sense of humor, you're just rolling with it, but you're still having fun. (laughs) Well, that's the perfect, you know, segue to go to commercial. <laughs> we reached our second commercial break. And uh, get, once again, visit Ken's uh, website, www.championpsi.com. Take a minute to check the services the Champion Performance System provides. Look at their team and connect with them. We'll be back with you immediately following the commercial break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back uh, for the home stretch of our show, Taking Care of Business, with our guest, Ken Larson, head coach and president of Champion Performance Systems. Ken, um, you know, uh, in our previous segment before we went into the commercial break, you talked about uh, the uh, owner or entrepreneur usually buys in to, he's the first person to buy in. Um is it because he feels accountable, responsible? Is it uh, he wants to do kind of the lead by example? Um, why do you think they buy in first and, 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 and kind of want the team to follow them? I think all leaders, whether they're entrepreneurs and run their own businesses or they're CEOs of publicly traded companies, I think all of leaders have a natural desire to get better. Uh, some come at it from a point of view of, what's broken so we can fix it. Some come at it from the other angle saying, what's good that we can make even better? But I think it's just a natural desire to get better at not only what we do, but also what our business does. And the entrepreneurs may be a little bit more focused on the profit side of things because they've got more skin in the game, whereas the presidents and CEOs, the publicly traded companies may have a different set of motivations and it's more about share value and meeting board of directors expectations. So I find that all leaders have a series of pressures coming at them from above, from below, from the side. And what amazes me about working with CEOs and presidents and entrepreneurs is that oftentimes I'm the guy that they can say absolutely anything to because mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge. There's things you can't take home. There's things you can't go to your board of directors with. There's things you may not be able to go to your colleagues with or your staff. But now all of a sudden you've got this trusted person sitting in front of you that you can share anything and everything with, which to me is a privilege. But that motivation to get better, I think, is the essence of it. And, and um you know, the second part of the question is, do you see today more um, lead by example or do you see more uh, be a commander and not a mentor or do you see be a mentor, not a commander? Uh, that's probably one of my uh, non-negotiables in working with somebody. If the leader is not going to walk his or her talk, then I'm not interested. So you fired the client? Well, I wouldn't hire them in the first place. Okay. Good question. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Um so let's talk about change. Sure. Um, organizations work 
for a few years, um, they grow the organization, um, they want to either keep growing or they hit a wall, and then they call you. Still, how do they accept or willing to accept or dealing with change? Mm. Well, going back to your original question, I think everybody wants to. The whole concept of change is a whole other story because it's not easy. Way too many leaders and owners and entrepreneurs will try to take on way too much from a point of change and then fall backwards and wonder why it didn't happen. So I'm always trying to help my leaders just focus on one thing. What's the one thing that is not a huge departure from what you're already doing? That if you really poured some focus on and got some traction and some momentum and instilled that in yourself as your own habit, what, ben- what benefit, what value would you get on that? What return on your energy, your ROE, would you get on that one thing? So I'm always trying to bring it down to a small doable chunk and get a series of those happening and get some traction, some momentum. That's usually when the eyes light up on the entrepreneur going, hey, I can do this. I really can do this, even though they haven't been able to do it in the past. So small little chunks, baby steps. Well, I've got another question here. Um, what is the biggest challenge in getting people to agree to change? To agree to change? Can you be more specific on that? So, you know, you come to a room and uh, we sit there and Cassandra and me and uh, the, the whole management team and you come with your ideas and or the CEO or the entrepreneur comes with the ideas and then the excuses starts to fly <laughs> out. So <laughs> the excuse is why not? Yeah. And... I, I, you know, I didn't go to university like you. I did for three days, but that was enough for me. <laughs> That's a great story, by yeah. the way. <laughs> but a question I have for you, is it, is it not human nature that resists change? Oh, absolutely. Nobody wants to change. Our bodies don't want to change. We want to keep the same thing over and over again. So, so as a coach, you have to kind of send that message. Cause I think, Cassandra, I'm helping you with your question. Oh, yeah. is is how do you help them or how do you convince them or how do you, what is your biggest challenge when you sit in a room and we have five, seven, 25 of us and half of them are like this, <laughs> right? I've hands, seen you. Hands crossed, <laughs> hands crossed, long faces, yeah. Yeah, change, yeah. not happen with me. Yeah. I think what you nailed here is the distinction between coaching and consulting. The consultant will come in and say, here's what I've, I've analyzed your business and here's what I think you should do. Whereas a coach may have an idea, but will sit back and ask questions and be curious from a very positive and appreciative way to figure out what it is that's not working for you or what it is that you feel need to work on and have a series of questions to go along with that until you go, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. So what was your aha moment? That's usually what I'm trying to get. So I'm not telling anybody what to do. I got tons of ideas. I read voraciously. I'll read probably 60, 70 books a year. So I got all kinds of ideas. But I'm not going to tell you that until I ask a bunch of questions until you figure it out for yourself. If you ever get stuck, that's when I will say, well, can I lock a couple of ideas? So what I'll do is I'll give examples of either other clients or other resources, but I won't tell you what to do or make suggestions. And I'll say, how does that land on you? How how does that or this other example, how might that be something that might work for you? Because really, if you don't come up with it, I own it. If I tell you what to do, then I'm owning the results and the action. Mm -hmm. If you come up with it, then you're going to own the action and the results. That's a big difference between coaching and consulting. So the next question you asked me about five times. <laughs> um, in every meeting, I mean. <laughs> and I'm going to throw it back at you. Sure. What is the risk of doing nothing? Mm. Getting the same old, same old? 
Elaborate. <laughs> if I do nothing, what I'm implying is that I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. And the old, I forget, I think it was Einstein said that definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So I would ask questions like, how's that working for you? And if you're really serious about getting better at it as a leader or as better as a, 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 in your business, then you'd be more willing to look at what's not working for you. Mm-hmm. So describe to us a process from the minute you kind of meet the first meeting with the owner, mm-hmm. CEO, to till you kind of get to the aha moment of the team. And you mentioned you like to work with teams. Mm-hmm. The aha moment of the team, we cannot do nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a describe that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of hinted towards it a little bit earlier, whereas when a leader or organization reaches out to me and they say, we'd like to work with you. I say, okay, well, let's decide. Let's make a mutual decision. I want to know that I can work with you and you need to know that you can work with me. So let's meet. So I'll send an email with a bunch of questions about the business, about the people, about the culture, about the leader, to get them thinking about that. And I want to look at those answers before I sit down. And then when I sit down with the leader, I'm paying as much attention to their attitude, their energy, um, the atmosphere of the room, as much as I am the answers to the questions. Because if that person is not serious and committed to getting better as a leader and growing their business, then I don't want to work with them. So it's just a series of, a lot of it, I'm not answering the question directly because a lot of it is gut instincts. Mm-hmm. Once I ask those core questions in an email and I've got an idea about that person, right. I'm going to sit down and just let my intuition lead me through answering more questions. But if they're not prepared to commit, and of course they got to have enough funds to pay for the whole service, of right. course, but if they're not prepared to commit and put some skin in the game, and I'll ask questions like, what are you prepared to do, David, as the leader of this company that you're not doing right now in order to send a message to your troops that you're walking your talk? Because if the leader doesn't walk his or her talk, then we're completely wasting our time. And, okay, so you got the leader to agree. What's the next step? The next step is uh, I would also talk to all their leadership team members. So if the leader's got, say, five or six uh, members, uh, of course, there's a proposal and contract and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But once we get that going, I'll talk to all the individuals and ask a bunch of questions of them. Then we do a retreat. We'll go off-site somewhere. We can't meet on-site because I don't allow teams to meet in their own surroundings because it's too much of the same emails and voicemails and text messages. And So we'll take them out to the mountains or the hills or somewhere else, and we'll do a three-day retreat or a two-day retreat, and we'll start launching the whole one-page process mm-hmm. and I building see. culture. We have to shift the culture. Every team has to shift their culture in some way, shape, or form. So that's a whole other ball of wax that takes a lot of work as well because culture doesn't move fast. Yeah. We know that. Um, So working with clients, what frustrates you the most? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a three-strike rule. And when a client tells me he's going to do X, Y, or Z, and then comes back and didn't do it, and there's no real good reason for it, I'll just look across over my glasses if I have them on and say, strike one. And that usually gets the leader to straighten up. And only once in my time have I had to to say, strike three, you're out. (laughs) Only once. And very rarely do I even need to say, strike one. Because leaders don't want to come back, especially in a team environment, and show that they're not doing what they said they would do. Right. Because now that's where the, the, the culture of the team is huge. Because no one in that team wants to come to a meeting not done what they're supposed to do. And some cultures are so bad with follow-up, it could take a couple of months or even a quarter or two before they get their accountability up to where it needs to be. Hmm. 
So I've got another question here too. What is one question that you wished you'd had the chance but didn't actually follow through with asking somebody that you were coaching? Hmm. You can't use me as an example. <laughs> Can you use him? <laughs> I think uh, we're going to get really honest here. I, I'm not sure the exact question, Cassandra, but I think when when I'm done with a client in a contract, some clients renew, some go, okay, thanks very much. You know, And my philosophy is I want to work myself out of a job. If I'm around too long, then it becomes codependent. And now... I'm as accountable to the actions of the leader as the leader is, and I don't want that. So eventually I want to kick everybody out of the nest. But at the end of contracts, I regret sitting down and asking the client, okay, what worked in this process? What didn't work in this process? How can I get better so that I can help leaders in the future or maybe even help you even more? So that's probably one thing that I have not done that I, thanks to your question, I will start doing. Perfect. Do you want to hold me accountable? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, you work, as you mentioned, with different companies. How do you measure your success? By theirs, directly. Mm-hmm. Whatever they determine are their targets and their measurables, their leading and lagging indicators, I measure their success, uh, my success by that. So my uh, brand promise, I use the acronym BIG. Perfect. Balance, impact, and growth. So at the beginning, I'll say the client – how is it balance important to you? We'll talk about balance. Oh, absolutely. And everyone says yes. How are we going to measure that? Let's monitor it. Impact on your leadership team. Is that important? And everyone says yes. How are we going to measure and monitor that? And growth for the company. That's the easy one to measure. Measuring balance and impact is a little bit tougher, but we develop our own KPIs that I'm now accountable for. So that's how I measure my success. So when uh, the company achieves the big results, do you see happy faces in the boardroom? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes I wish I had some shares. <laughs> but that's against the uh, code. I see. Um, you know, we're getting kind of the, towards the end of our show, and I have a few kind of questions uh, to see if you walk your own talk. <laughs> so what are Ken's strategic uh, initiatives for the coming quarter or year? My street, well, let me back up because I thought you were going to ask about my purpose and vision and mission. But my purpose is to inspire and inspire inspiration, uh, or sorry, to um, impact inspiration. So I want help leaders inspire themselves. My core values are health, connection, excellence, contribution, and freedom, in that order. And I try to walk those every day. And if you follow me around, you'd see at least three, if not four, or five of those every day happening. My strategic initiative this year is I'm growing so fast right now, I need to bring on team members. Mm-hmm. So in the next year, I've got three other Gazelles coaches here in the province that I've recruited. There's six of us now in this province, soon to be a seventh. One is our former tech member. Um, and so I'm now trying to shift my model in this fiscal year so that I can go in with a team as opposed to just Ken one-on-one. That's my biggest strategic initiative this year. And, and how often do you check your strategic initiative? Do you have your own KPI that you kind of follow? Do you have uh, everything you preach for? Do you have it as uh, something you do and, and you have the one page for champion uh, performance in the systems? Absolutely. And my assistant, Corinne, who's been with me now for about uh, seven or eight months, uh, her and I, are t- we talk about that once a week in our weekly meetings to make sure we're on track. Now, I have a question for you. Do you have a coach? Or do you have a mentor? Uh, yes, I have several, actually. Uh, I have a personal trainer, of course, on the physical side of things. Um, I have a spiritual guide and leader. 
His first name is John. And then I have a mentor who I nicknamed Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is one of the first tech chairs ever in Alberta. You might know him, Doug Bowie. Yeah. And uh, Doug is very close to me. He's one of he's my my big mentor. Hmm. And um, how important do you think having mentors is is for uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs? It's absolutely critical. And I, I go back to the core belief is we can't do this alone. Life is a team sport. Business is a team sport. And I bring the whole sport metaphor with me. You can't do this by yourself. If you think you can do this by yourself, you're not going to go very far. Hmm. As I mentioned, we have to kind of... Uh, get to a few questions what what are, have been some of your big concerns uh, along this journey since you started as a coach and where you are today what do you mean by big concerns like respect? concerns that you kind of during the process of you know developing your business to making the change from athlete coach to to business coach life coach what are the personal concerns that you had to deal with in terms of growing your business building your business I think the biggest thing for me is to stay up to speed on all the latest that's in the market. With the way the internet has changed the world, with everyone and their brother, cat, and dog, and goldfish is writing a book these days, <laughs> including me. I'm trying to work on one myself. Um, just staying up to speed with the latest, greatest ideas, concepts, and new thinking so that when I do sit in front of a client, I can ask questions designed to tap into that wisdom and knowledge. So what is your, if you have to kind of give now a new entrepreneur that's sitting here with us two or three kind of positive advices on how to start their business, what what would they be? Start a business yeah. or take your start business? business? Start a business. Oh, wow. I think going back to the purpose. What's your why? What's the original why that's causing you to pursue this? I think that's a question a lot of people do not ask themselves. And I think that that would be absolutely paramount. And then the what questions and the how questions come from the why. Too often we ask what's and how's before considering the why, which to me is the baseline. Why are you doing this? And I've got a client here in town, when they realized what their why was, there was actually tears in the room. And they sell swimwear. And you walk in with a certain amount of this, but you walk out with way more of it. And it's confidence. And when they nailed that, that's why we're doing what they're doing. We're doing. So an entrepreneur, I think, out of the gate needs to get really clear about why they're doing what they're doing. So in the 80s, you played ball for the national team and for a championship team. Uh, Then you became an athlete coach. Then you became a business and life coach. What have you learned about yourself? The one thing you've learned about yourself during this journey? Great question. All my questions are great. (laughs) I think what I've learned the most that I'm that's actually I'm butting my head against right now is that I can't do this alone, just like I try to help my clients figure out. But I'm also realizing that this is a journey, very much a personal journey. It's business is just the result of it. And that if I'm not taking care of myself mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationship-wise, then I'm not in the best position possible to be fully present. So taking care of myself, and when I walk into a room with a client, I say to myself on the way in, I can't believe I get paid to do this. And then I say, there's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now with you, and to be fully present. That's the biggest thing I think I've learned in that. 
Thank you. Uh, we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. I would like to thank my guest, Ken Larson, head coach and president of Champion Performance Systems, for putting a mirror in front of the entrepreneurs. Um, thank you to my co-host today, Cassandra. Good work. Uh, next, we'll be back uh, with a new guest sharing new ideas and new uh, stories. As always, thank you, Aaron Keller, our engineer and the entire crew of uh, Voice America host services. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook and connect with us on LinkedIn. I would like to, I would love to hear back from you. My email is dvwallach at gmail.com. Thank you for uh, to our loyal listeners, and we'll see you here. We'll meet you here again, voiceamerica.com slash variety. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.